The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now I have a gutter. Ho, ho, ho. Hey gang, what's going on? Kevin Goatee here. Wow, could you believe that twist in last week's episode with Shelly Martinez doing Dumb and Dumber? Didn't see it coming, did you? Well, guess what? This week, no twist. Just good old Phil Ranta coming on to tell us why probably the most beloved Christmas film of all time, It's a Wonderful Life, is an egregious overrated piece of coal out of a dinosaur's rectum. I don't know how that would get there. I just made it up. Before you get to it, guttingthesacredcow.com. Make sure you go there and check our blogs every single day. Guttingthesacredcow at gmail.com if you want to advertise with us. And as if you just want to drop us a note, that's where you do it. And subscribe to us here on YouTube. Click subscribe. Love it. Thanks again, guys. Enjoy Phil trying to take down and shove a jingle ball up the old rectum of It's a Wonderful Life. Gather round is what I know. It's just that this cow has got to go. Did her pussy smell like the Great Depression? Kevin Israel named that movie. Is that Grandma's Boy? Yes, it is. <laughs> oh my I'm on a roll. I think I'm four for four. <laughs> you, you, you've hit your last bunch. By the way, rewatch that the other day. That film is terribly unfunny. Terribly. Oh, oh it's oh, not there's, good. Uh, there's some when he's when he's jerking off to the action figure and the mom walks in. One, laugh. <laughs> one. There, there are two or three lines in there you laugh, and that, and that it is, it is a Sahara desert of unfunniness. I was very disappointed. I got it for five bucks off Voodoo. Go, ah, I saw it before. Eh, let's give it another go. Nope. Who gives a shit about that? Kevin Goatee, Kevin Israel back, and here we are, kids. This week we are joined by Phil Ranta. Phil. What's going on, man? How are you? Hey, I didn't. Uh, that was quite a way to enter into an episode. <laughs> I just met you five minutes ago, and now there's pussies that smell like the Grand Canyon. I've never seen Grandma's Boy. Great I remember Depression. Schwartz was in it. Yeah, Great Depression. That's be- yeah. that's a funnier line. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. The Grand Canyon. I don't know what that would smell like, except for donkey shit. That's a fine. Yeah. How do you do? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. Phil, tell the folks what you're up to and what, what you want to promote here at the top. We'd like to get our plugs out early. Yeah, I uh, God, I don't know. I, I guess I'm a Twitter personality <laughs> at Phil Ranta, and I uh, I do digital media stuff. I run a company called Wormhole Labs that does metaverse tech. Uh, I'm a tech bro. I'm a tech bro that does podcasts. I guess. Cool. Can you can you introduce us to the Winklevoss twins? Then. Yeah, totally. You want in? <laughs> How much money you got to put into their crypto scheme? Uh, Not enough. No, uh, I there wanna, we go. I want to invest in their rowing company. That's what I want to do. There we go. Yeah, Bowflex needs a competitor. Nordic Track. Which one's the rowing one? One of those is a rowing one. <laughs> no, they all have is, one. Isn't there it? I go. think it is. Well, that's funny. Uh, Phil has decided to do probably one of the most beloved Christmas films of all time. It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. 1947, <laughs> it came out. Budget, $3.18 million. Box office hall, $3.3 million. This baby barely broke even. Take that, Capra. 
You suck. Turn that into 2021 money, $82.8 million budget, $85.9 million box office haul. That's going to sequel that way. No, yeah, that's that's way too much money spent on this. Well, then again, like back then, film was made of precious metals. So I totally get it. <laughs> hey, if Highlander got a sequel when it lost money, why can't this get a sequel? Yeah, I mean, it kind of, like it's gotten a lot of like made for TV style sequel issues. I oh, mean, yeah. this is like a sequel to The Christmas Carol, right? It's like Ebenezer screwed. It's, it's like the same. You've seen this story a million times. It's just a bad version of that. Right. You know, Phil, IMDb, as we know, is a scale one through 10 with decimal points. What do you think? I, uh, it's a wonderful life. Excuse me. Scored on the IMDb scale. Well, geez, I don't know if a lot of people are using IMDb back then, uh, <laughs> writing it on tablets and mailing it to each other. Uh, I, I think that like by then it was probably already running in syndication a lot and it was only watched and re-reviewed by people who loved it. So like 9.4, maybe. I'm Ron Burgundy. That's the way he answered that question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even know how to begin answering this question. Is that, or they answered by, they, they, uh, they were surveyed using the telegraph. The number right. is stop <laughs> nine. <laughs> <point>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Kevin this just re- came across the wire. There's a new IMDb <laughs> review coming in. And then they, and then, the presses, boys. And then they <laughs> broke into the Charleston. Right. <laughs> Kevin Israel, what do you think It's a Wonderful Life scored? I'm going to go nine flat. Eight, six. Wow. 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 I know there's some haters in there. Well, let's find Surprise. out how many. Let's find out how many critics on the Rotten Tomato scale, how many haters there were. Kevin Israel, the critic score, if you will. 85. Phil? Well, I feel like any critic would get murdered now for saying it's a bad movie. So, like, I'd say it's like 90. 94. Jesus. Jeez. Nobody has guts anymore. That's the problem with this world. Yeah, well, let's see what those sheep known as the audience think. Phil, what do you think the audience gave this uh, score? That's got to be bonkers that's got that's got to be bonkers that's like 97 i would think kevin israel you know sometimes i i feel i see your logic but i've been surprised lately that the for yeah. some of these movies the the critics go higher so i'm gonna go 88 95 all right well they're fucking that's crazy <laughs> i mean that's the thing is like i feel like old movies are sandbagged a little bit because like movies the language of movies has changed right so like how is somebody in Gen Z watching this and not just asleep by the by the opening credit sequence? It's very long. Well, you can talk, you can talk to two Gen Xers about that next. There we go. Quotes the obvious every time a bell rings and Angel gets his wings. Other than that, right. I don't have a single quote in this film. This film is not quotable, Kevin Israel. I have one. I have one. I have one. Please. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Tell me how fast that got annoying. Oh, God. <laughs> Immediately. Yeah. Yeah. It was hard to even tell what they were going for at first. And then you're like, oh, it's like a code. Okay. Or he's but like the jack, first time yeah. they do it. It's like, what? Yeah. Phil, any quotes out of you? The, the one that always comes to my mind is when he's just like, uh, uh, don't you recognize me? Don't you recognize me? Good impression. Like, I feel like, Pretty yeah, good. I feel like. I whenever there's people who don't recognize me, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. And some people get it, and the rest of them are just like, "What the hell? What are you doing? Why are you doing this to yourself?" Yeah. You know? And then there's also like, "The we're gonna take the moon, and I'm gonna lasso it, and I'm gonna pull it down and put it in my pocket." And it's like this metaphor is that's dragon. It's going on a long time. The things he'll do for dames. Right. Totally. Five fun facts. Five fun facts. Five fun facts for you right now. It's time for five fun more facts. Five fun facts for you right now. Philip Van Dorn Stern. That's the blackest name I've read all today. Tried tried shopping the script around for a while and decided to print up 200 copies of the story and send them out as a 21 page Christmas card. A producer at RKO got a hold of this card and then purchased the movie rights for $10,000. Wow. 
Damn. Finally. Sucks. A, finally, a, a Christmas card that actually paid off doing. I guess if all it is is a 21-page Christmas card and you're getting 10 grand for it and the expectations are zero, that's, that's a pretty big win, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, my aunt and uncle sent us a, a one and a half page newsletter every Christmas. And by about three quarters down and go, Oh, where are they going to mention me already? Right. How much did that get optioned for? Zip zero <laughs> point. See, wait, zero. Time. Yeah. Well, Aunt Brendan, uncle Terry did not do uh, they're good with the pen, but not as, uh, not as swift as Philip bond Storn Dorn Stern. <laughs> There we go. Number two, this movie bombed at the box office as it put Frank Capra in the hole 525,000 bucks. Wow. So he was an investor then, too. I believe I mean, so. Put his money where his mouth is. I got to yeah. respect that a little bit. This was shot during the summer in the middle of a heat wave, and filming had to be shut down for a day. Stewart can be seen sweating in key moments of the film. Yeah, I, like I recently rewatched it because, to prepare for this. I'm a professional. And uh, I, I think that they kind of played into the exasperated nature of him because of the sweat. Like, I thought that was purposeful, but I guess that makes sense. <laughs> He's not method or he might have been on cocaine. Right, totally. Back then, everyone's on cocaine. Great time. The FBI, number four, the FBI did a memo of this film saying it's it's potential communist infiltration of the industry because of its obvious attempts to discredit bankers as Scrooge types, as this was a common trick used by communists. I can't really say that's not true. Mm. <laughs> I mean, he's everywhere. It, it does have a strong communist message as a movie, if you really think about it, but we'll get into that later. In 2013, fun fact number five, two producers announced a sequel for 2015's release. Paramount quickly shut that down as they own the license to the film and said no such sequel will be ever greenlit. Damn. I really wish they made that, though. Like, I I wanted to make that where it's a direct continuation. (laughs) Like, the second the last one ends, like kind of like the Muppets movie that goes into the (laughs) next one, right? They end with the thing. Can you, or like a return to Oz kind of deal. Right. Totally. Yeah. Why not? Like there's, there's so many loose ends in this. We'll get into that later. <laughs> I got to stop jumping. And now it's time for our listeners to get a crack at asking the gutters what's going on in their minds when they pick these films. And so it is now aptly titled Ask a Gutter. Ask a gutter, ask a gutter, ask a gutter, ask a gutter. At Newark Night, Brandon Oglesby, our buddy. Hey, Phil, do you think the suicide in the movie makes it too dark for a Christmas film? No, I would argue that this isn't really a Christmas film, right? Like the, the the Christmas layer on it is so light. I mean, it's Christian, right? There's angels and there's people, but there's like, I besides the very end where you kind of like see a Christmas tree and a bell, like what's really Christmassy about? I think it's just like the the Ebenezer Scrooge thing that makes it a Christmas movie. This could have been any time of year and it would have been the same, right? Mm-hmm. Just a bell. The bell would have to exist elsewhere, you know? Matt Dawson at Hopper 2400 wants to know who there can do the j- best George Bailey impression. I'll let our guest go first. Oh, geez. Uh uh zuzu you're my daughter oh, you got a terrible name i i think i'm just gonna forfeit because i don't want to <laughs> let me try this well golly yeah, gee yeah, i give i i can't yeah. i'm not an impressions guy so <laughs> yeah, I, uh, nope. i'm kind of but not that it's it's more it comes out as don knots for me so i think <laughs> right. oh andy <laughs> <laughs> I was going to do a Jack Tripper like, shout out as Mr. Furley, but okay. There we go. <laughs> That's noted. But Next question. I actually started sweating like they were filming this in the summer. <laughs> uh, at the almighty Ray, Ray Sicanis, you got Phil Ranta. You got to ask him what the worst Christmas present he ever got was. Oh, God, the worst Christmas present. So I had a, a girlfriend in high school um, who didn't, not to brag, um, who didn't know me at all. <laughs> And she got me, like, a, a rap metal CD. I forget exactly what the band was. It wasn't, like, corn, but it was of that. I mean, it was late 90s. 
So it was of that ilk. And it was like, uh, like I got a really like thoughtful gift for her. I don't remember what I got her, but I remember putting a lot of thought pregnant. into it. And I got it. And I was like, yeah, I got her pregnant. But yeah, I remember opening it being like I was into punk rock and she got me a rap metal thing. And I'm like, this is the opposite of what I'm into. I was really bummed out. What'd you get your ice teas body count? <laughs> right. Well, it was like it was I mean, back then it was like uh, trapped or POD or there was, there was something like that. They're known for one song and one song only headstrong. Yeah. Don't get me this. The whole thing. Just get me the single. Maybe at least I'll know it. You know? Fuck off. I'll take you on headstrong. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Next question. Uh, for Phil, when will men's nightgowns make a comeback from Lord Snurts? Yeah, I, I actually like the men's nightgown thing, right? I mean, if you live in Los Angeles during heat waves, you, they, the airflow doesn't work properly on any bedtime apparel. Like, yeah, if it, if it was destigmatized, if people would make fun of me for it, then yeah, I would wear a nightgown. The Mame Dammy wants to know, wants to just declare, it's a wonderful life has to do with, has less to do with Christmas than Die Hard. Discuss. Yeah. Well, well, Die Hard, there's a lot of elements of Christmas, right? Like getting the gift and coming home and the, like, there's a lot of layers of Christmas in Die Hard, but it's a little subtextual. Yeah, It's a Wonderful Life is like, there's a Christmas tree at the end and people sing Auld Lang Syne. Not mm. Christmassy. No. no. Uh, Taco Shirt Krillin. He wants to know what your favorite Christmas movie is. His is Gremlins. I love Gremlins. I'm a I'm a Gremlin stand. My my favorite. I think it's one of those that's hard to separate the nostalgia from. It's the Ref with Dennis Leary. Oh my like God. I watched it as a kid. I haven't a seen lot. that in decades. It's so it's still funny. Like I revisited it recently, and I'm like, I, I like. It. I'm I'm a big fan of like awkward dysfunctional family moments. So it's uh, I feel like it's got like that curb your enthusiasm vibe of like, oh, I know someone like that. Ooh. I wanted Dennis Leary, no cure for cancer, Dennis Leary, and I didn't get it. Yeah. So I was disappointed that it wasn't that, which is probably he was still why. Clearly on tons of coke. I oh mean, yeah, clearly. Well, I mean, he was that's... still coke, Dennis. Yeah, that's just in his blood now. Right. Yeah, it will it, never go away. Yeah. It's res- it's residual. His liver creates cocaine. Right. Uh, and that'll do it for our ask the gutter. So Kevin Israel, why don't we just issue right to the main event? As we let Phil Ransa go on to gut, gut the the sacred, sacred cow. cow. <laughs> All right, I got notes on your your intro, but we'll move on to that for later. <laughs> I mean, to start the movie, that that what people describe as "It's a Wonderful Life" is not. Uh, most of the movie, right? But if you say to somebody like, hey, describe It's a Wonderful Life to me, they're like, well, there's this angel, and this angel catches George Bailey on the bridge and then shows him what life would be like without him, and then he has a turn of change of heart. Hey, blah, 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 blah. That's, that's like the last 20%, maybe 25%. Most of the movie is straight-up abuse porn, right? You're introduced to this guy who's like, I've got these huge dreams and I'm a kid and I'm doing great things for people. I save a druggist and I save my brother's life and I got big dreams. And then it's just like, no, 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 you don't get to do anything. And your life is terrible. And sure you marry this girl, but you never get to fulfill your dreams. And here's just abuse, 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 abuse. And then like an hour and 15 minutes into the movie, he's like, I can kill myself. It's like the whole movie is just setting the stage for the payoff of that 15 minutes of let's revisit the things you saw. And now they're not bad. Oh, they're worse. Right? Like the whole thing is just like this person's life sucks. It's, it's almost hard to take after a while. because you're like waiting for a good thing to happen and nothing, nothing good happens. However, also everybody else is enabling this terribleness around him. Let's start with the people of Bedford Falls, these people are emotional abusers. These are awful, awful people. Like, these people know what George Bailey is going through. He's loud about it, as you could tell from our impressions of him earlier. Uh, not, not a quiet dude. 
he wears his heart on his sleeve. He's just constantly like, my life is terrible. Everything's terrible. Why are you doing this to me? And like, for, let's take the run on the bank scene, right? Like he's got, he's about to go on his honeymoon. He marries Mary. This is the last good thing that happens to him the whole movie until the end, by the way. He, he marries Mary. He's got all this money for his honeymoon. He's like, if I'm going to see the world, I'm going to run. So he's super, super happy. And then there's a run on the bank. And everybody who shows up to the banker's friends, right? They're supposed to be the people who know about it. They know he just got married. This is like wedding night stuff. And they're like, give me my money. And he's like, I'm about to go on my honeymoon. And they're like, no, give me my money now. Like, we're friends. We don't know. Give me my money now. And then he takes all of his personal money and gives it to him. It's seen as like this kind gesture. This is people he's grown up with who he's known his entire life. Right after his wedding, taking his honeymoon money. They know that this is what's happening. And they're just like, that, well, I needed my money. Thanks, buddy. And then they, they don't even say thanks, buddy. I take that back. They're just like, money, this is mine now, right? And then he's never able to go on his honeymoon. And then people just go about their business, right? Like, these are terrible people. And this happens from birth, right? Like, even when he saves the druggist's life, like, the druggist puts the, the poison and the pills on accident because he's old. And then he's just like, you put the poison in the pills. And he boxes his ears. He like grabs him by the ears. Like, mm-hmm. ah! right? <laughs> and like, then afterwards, he's like, oh, thank God you saved me. I'm waiting for it. I'm sorry. Right? Like, he's beat, beat up this kid. And his, his brother is the worst of all, right? Like, he saves his brother. He like loses hearing in one ear because he saves his brother from drowning in the ice. And then his brother's like, hey, don't worry, George. You just have to look out for the savings loan for a little bit. Just give me some money so I can go to college. And I'm going to come right back. I'm going to take this over. And you're going to have everything. Comes back. He's like, uh, here's my new wife. And uh, I'm going to go work for her dad. Uh, so you stay at the savings loan. I hope you're enjoying it. And see you later. It's like, I, he gave him every. He gave him the chance to leave. He gave him college. He became this all-star football player. And he just leaves. And then he goes to war and becomes a Like, he knew the deal. And he broke his promise. George didn't even say anything. He was just like, oh, this sucks. My life sucks. Right? Like, he could have at least said, like, you really screwed me. Right? I feel like an enlightened 21st century man at this point would be like, brother, you screwed me on this. You're going to have to, like, put on your daddy pants for a second and come work at this thing for a bit. Tell your father-in-law that you need to take a hiatus because I did this for you. None of that. Everybody's just beating up on him the whole time. No acknowledgement whatsoever of any of the sacrifices George makes. Also, though, I can't let George off the hook for this. He's a little ungrateful for his life that he has, right? Like, Mm -hmm. we all have big dreams when we're young, right? Like, I wanted to be a famous comedian. I am doing podcasts now. As a little bit of a, no offense to the podcast, there's a little bit of a disparity there, right? George, yeah, he wanted to see the world. He wanted to, like, do all these huge things, like, good, great, but look at what he does have, right? Like, yes, he moves into an abandoned house. That thing's freaking huge, right? LA prices, that's a 2.5 milli right there. He's doing okay. It's drafty. Get over it, man. You can fix that. You can fix drafts, right? Put up some plastic sheeting. Get out a hammer, like you think, like he's really mad about this knob on the railing that keeps falling off. You can fix a knob on a railing, like that is a tr- that is a tropiest trope of all broken right. houseware. I mean, that's been done in the money pit. That's been yeah. done here. That's been done eighty millions. I thought of that. I mean, obviously, this was the pioneer, probably for that broken knob. But I go, oh, oh yeah. my god, this has been beaten to death, and this, this is probably the genesis of it. It's got to be, right? And even yeah. back What was then, the movie like, where he cuts it off with a chainsaw? That, oh, Crucifixion. Yeah, Poor totally. Crucifixion, that's right, yeah. Yeah, I feel like that was a nice little homage. I appreciate that, but this one, it's like, it's not the end of the world. Like, there, a nail will do. There's no crazy glue back then, but, like, <laughs> this is not a hard problem. Like, squeaky stairs. Like, I'm not great at home repair. It's squeaky stair is like, you take out the squeaky bits, you know, you fortify a little bit, like... This is like a 30-minute fix, right? And he is like, and especially when his life starts going poorly, he's like straight up almost abusive to his family. It gets like scary for a second. Like the kids are like, daddy's home, daddy, I'm so excited. He's like, get out of my way. Ah, My life is terrible. Like, oh, leave daddy alone. He's not okay. It's like, get out of the house. 
this guy is not okay. Like, he got to have a little, like, a little appreciation. I've got two kids and a wife. I'm not always super happy when I go home. I don't go nuclear. You choke it down a little bit. That's part of being an adult. You choke it down a little bit. You move on. Like, yeah, you got a job that's unfulfilling. Join the club, right? It's not uh, a lot of people. It's called work for a reason, right? We all don't get to be like skyscraper builders like he wanted to be. It's okay. Move on, right? Now let's get to the... I was going to say, as I believe Ted Knight said in Caddyshack, well, the world needs ditch diggers too, you know. Right, totally. And he's not a ditch digger. He's going to a fine job, right? He's like going in. He's like moving money from one place to another. Middle class. His kids are clothed. They're eating. Like your big complaint is a drafty house. Come on. Come on. That's fixable. It's a huge house. Who cares if it's drafty? Fix it. Fix the draft, right? Let's get into the most egregious part, though, which is the part everybody knows the movie for. First of all, let's get to the Clarence of it all. Clarence, the angel, he's introduced in the movie at the very beginning as an angel second class. Let's unpack that for a second. This is ostensibly means there's a heaven, right? There's an angel. You've done good works in your life. You get promoted. And then you also have to, like, get promoted within heaven? Like, you get another, you die and live a good life, and then you get another job where you're, like, bottom of the totem pole, thousands (laughs) of years of helping people, and you know what? Maybe you'll get wings, and we'll stop calling you second class. Like, this is eternity. Heaven and eternity has jobs? That's It reminds me of, like, I was watching with my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter the other day, Coco, and, like, the the main bad guy in it. It's a great movie. It's one of my favorite Pixar's. But the, the bad guy in it has bodyguards and the bridge, the toll bridge over to life has a toll booth person who doesn't get to go out and deal de los muertos because they're working the toll booth. Uh, like this is somebody who hasn't gone to the final death, but they're still working the toll booth. What's this hierarchy? Like what's this hierarchy with Clarence? Who decided this? Is God saying like, I made it to heaven, get a job. I don't consider that to be a good heaven. I think that he's in a lousy heaven. Like the, then let's talk about the Potterville mirror world a little bit, right? So in the Potterverse, uh, the, the Potterverse is what I guess we'll call it now because I slipped into the Potterverse and I like it. Like the logic all follows pretty well, right? All it is is like we've seen this part of the story before. There's the setups and the thing, and then the payoff in the alternate world is like everything's worse. It's Back to the Future 2, Biff Tannen's Trump world, right? <laughs> but, like, in this one, everything makes sense except for Mary, right? So Mary is this beautiful woman, sought after, super kind, goes to college, right? Because in the, the first world, in the, the Baileyverse... Uh, she goes to college, they meet when she comes back, and then they have this life. So she's gone to college in the Potterverse, and then she becomes a spinster who works at a library who, like, this is just to be around kids because I couldn't have my... Like, someone would have married her. <laughs> like, the idea of this one and only thing, and I feel like it's a very, like, patriarchal 1930s way of looking at the world, which is like, well, if I didn't exist, my wife would be miserable. It's like, she would have found someone else... 50-50 chance it would have been better, right? So, of course, you hey. can't put that in a movie. It's true, and now, though. And <laughs> now she had to memorize the Dewey Decimal System. She's fucked. Totally, yeah. And she's got to work with books all day, which is like <laughs> the diamond. And the other one, all she has is a husband that yells at her that she dotes on day and night. You but know what? One, you know what? Books, books don't yell at you. That's true. Books books are mostly very, very kind. Uh, but yeah, it's, it seems like the spinster story in it all. Um, it would be the most egregious part of this, except for... Um, do you guys know what I'm talking about when I talk about zombie movie syndrome? Right? Or, Explain a little bit for everybody. So everybody in the zombie movie has that moment. Shaun of the Dead makes fun of it. Where when the zombies start rising, nobody wants to admit they're zombies. Yes. This is impossible. <laughs> there can't be some. We're living in this uh, real I, reality. So they get I the love zombies. the point you're about to make. Yeah. Right, totally. <laughs> so the entire flashback, George goes from person to person saying, Don't you remember me? I'm George Bailey. And Claire's like, They don't remember you, George, because they're not, you were never born in this. <laughs> 
Then he goes to the next thing and goes, it's me, George Bailey. Don't you remember me? It's still George Bailey. They're like, they don't, they still don't remember you, George. Remember the premise I've set forth for this entire reality is that they don't remember. I like how you're, I like how your George Bailey, each impression sounds like he's six bourbons deep. Right, exactly. By the end, he's like, Mary! Right? And Clarence is like, George, there's a premise to this part. For the love of God, George, please. Understand what I'm trying to do here, George. Showing you a life without, that's the whole point of what this is. Put the pieces together, George. If the last one didn't make sense because they didn't know you, this one probably wouldn't know you. Like, it's so frustratingly tedious to watch them go place to pace and to have the same lines. Like they don't even try to have him like come at it from a different angle. Like I come from an improv background. They talk about scene heightening, right? Like the first one is, don't you recognize me? The second one is, I know you wouldn't recognize me, but let me tell you something about your past so that maybe that means you'll know me. And then like the third one, like Groundhog. Day right, Bill Murray learns the game and then figures out how to like get people to know that it's the day. Like George goes through many many situations and just gets the cops called on him over and over again. And I, I feel like it shows like a deep idiocy or like a disbelief that makes the turn all the more improbable because it's like if it took him that long to pick up, like wouldn't he then also be like? Wait, you do recognize me? Wait, you recognize me? Like, it feels like getting, like, it's like when you're in VR too long, you can't snap out of it. I feel like he's <laughs> in VR for a while, and he snaps out of it immediately, goes, I'm back, I'm back again, after one person. Like, you were confused that whole time. And then, what? like, whatever. He was tethered to his reality. But this is where it gets really, really bad, right? Every time a bell rings, Andrew gets wings, everybody comes together, blah, blah, blah. The people of the town weren't trying to save George, right? They do say, like, well, as soon as they said George Bailey was in trouble, great. It's been pre-established. They don't care about George Bailey. They run on the bank. Nobody ever gives him his vacation or anything. Who's the one that's going to him? It's Mary. It's Mm -hmm. Mary that's going person to person and being like, George in trouble. You think that they've already proven they don't care, right? They're there to help out Mary, so if George is the one going around being like, you don't care for me. Finally, these emotionally abusive, like the the like horrible husband who gets me flowers. Oh, finally, one bit of kindness that I have to hold on to. They weren't being kind to him. It was always about Mary, which frankly, Mary deserves it more because she is crapped on the entire movie by everybody. He complains the entire time and she is nothing but a trooper, right? But still... George treats it like it's this big thing of everybody helping him. You're the luckiest man in town. And, but, whoa, that was a good quote that they had. But, like, <laughs> is it really him? I don't think it's him. But, and then at the end, of course, Zuzu says, uh, every time a bell rings, the angel gets his wings. And he named his daughter Zuzu. Even in the 1930s, like, come on. What, and even what's that short for? I assume it's short for something like Zuzu. I, I have your answer. She oh, yeah. also she went on to, to find to, to to find the Japanese car Zuzu. So there we th- thank her sense. for the thank her for the trooper. It's a Wonderful Life two should have been made. We could have seen the beginning of a Zuzu. Wasn't the oh. Zuzu that annoying horn they blew during like the World Cup yeah, that the everybody Vuvuzela. hated? Whatever. So that's it. That's it's a Wonderful Life. At the end of the day, not a Christmas movie. Everybody's terrible. Nobody gets their comeuppance. Mr. Potter gets to keep his $8,000 and then gets the new $8,000. George is not absolved from his crimes. He could still say he stole that money. If I go and steal something at a store and then say I brought it back, they could still arrest me for it. There's still that warrant out. I don't see Mr. Potter letting him off the hook. And you think that town is ever going to do anything for him again after this? Hell no. He cashed in his one shit and it's over. He never gets to see the world, never gets to build the skyscraper. Bad movie, bad Christmas movie full of horrible people. Wow. That was a, uh, that was a megaton of hatred. And I loved it. I liked it. Phil, give me a number one to 10 on your thoughts on this film. Uh, You know what? I'm a generous person. I'm going to give it a three. And the reason why I give it a three out of 10 is uh, because there, there it's over. It's like Ted Lasso, right? Every once in a while, something that's so saccharine and you know what they're doing to you 
has to be like you have to hit yourself in the head with the brick and go duh and then like watch it right um this is kind of that right it's like it's uh it's like uh happy pills if you just don't think about it too hard <laughs> and if you're in the mood for that then it's serviceable you know mm-hmm. kevin israel take the helm on this one first so first of all well well done that was that was a Thank you. that was a very good gutting um or or is it the, well, I didn't say he. I didn't say he was successful. I just said it was a good gutting. <laughs> Fair. The so first of all, if you've, I think I've, I've only discussed this on our Die Hard episode. But I have a very specific rubric for Christmas movies, and it's very simple. To be a Christmas movie, you need to fill, and you need to fulfill all three of these requirements. It needs to be about Christmas. It needs to take place during Christmas, and it needs to be about one of the general Christmas principles goodwill to men, self-improvement and realization, all that kind of stuff. This movie has, has the self-improvement. It's not about Christmas. It's not about Christmas at all. As a matter of fact, they just, they just jam in the end, him running down the street going, Merry Christmas! And it's like, oh shit, we haven't said anything about Christmas. <laughs> they Merry Christmas in this scene. Otherwise, we're not going to get the tax exemption for making Christmas movies or whatever it was that they needed to be. And this movie wasn't even supposed to be a Christmas movie. It was supposed to come out in January, some late January after Christmas. And then they realized they needed a movie for Christmas. So they just they they bumped it up. And I, I feel like maybe they just filmed that scene post. And we're like, now it's a Christmas movie. Just just put it out. Um so to me, no, I agree 100 uh, percent with Phil that this was not a Christmas movie. That that said, the movie I've seen this movie a, a number of times. It's one of those movies that's always on, obviously around Christmas. And I've caught parts of it. I haven't watched the whole thing from soup to nuts in years. But the one thing I focused in on was one of the premises that this movie leans on that I I realized I didn't understand ever was the relationship between the savings and loan business that he has going or the loan into whatever that the mortgage company he has going and the bank. And it conf- I don't know why I cared so much about this last night when I watched this movie, but I went down some rabbit hole of trying to figure out like, why were the, if like, if, if my mortgage company was going to go under, I guess I wouldn't go to them and be like, Hey, give me my $242. Like what? They would be like, what? You just get to keep your house. Leave us the fuck alone. What are you talking about? You don't, we don't owe you any money. And I, I tried to figure out why were these people, because it wasn't a bank. George Bailey wasn't running a bank. He was running a mortgage company. The bank that Potter ran would lend him money because he was such a nice guy that he wouldn't, he wouldn't take payments from people at certain times if they were having so much trouble but then he would need money to give out more mortgages and so he would go to potter and borrow money so george bailey and his father were terrible businessmen and he actually says that at one point he goes nobody ever accused my father of being a good businessman and Mm -hmm. then he goes to be an equally bad businessman and i have to be honest i read three different articles and i still don't understand why those people were able to take out money i don't I'll never understand that. Apparently they were investing in it somehow, but I still don't know why you would get that money back. But I read a very technical article that I won't get into. Um, There is an explanation out there. I'm just not smart enough to understand it. But the whole premise of this movie was based on something so complicated that that pissed me off through the rest of the movie. (laughs) It pissed me off so much. I knocked my camera over. It pissed me off through the rest of the movie because I didn't understand why he needed all this money. So then he 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 loses this eight thousand dollars. The guy, the uncle, loses this eight thousand dollars, and Potter gets it. And that and 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 to Phil's point, that part is never resolved. He goes and I guess I guess he gets eight thousand dollars back at the end with everybody handing. Maybe it's more than eight thousand. Who the fuck knows? Now apparently everybody has all this money. When you know, a little while ago nobody had any money. Nobody had any money, and now everybody has money to give him back to get this $8,000. But assuming that he just gets $8,000 back, that means he's just back to the shitty, shitty part that he started at. Nothing's better in his life. Nothing improves other than he realizes that he's a useful person, which I think we can all say that we've done something that without us, life might have been worse. But he, so he is now back to kind of zero. He's not up, he's not up any. 
And Potter, who, by the way, honestly, Potter was the great villain. Great villain. You really, really do hate Potter. And he's a very one-dimensional villain. And you don't get into really the psyche of Potter. But for the time and for especially for the message they're trying to prove. And, and it was a very kind of anti-capitalism theme. But he was a hateful person. And the way he treats the dad and the way he treats George Bailey. And it's a great scene when he offers Bailey the job. And you can see, and I thought that actually was one of probably the best scenes in the movie because you can see him be like $20,000 a year. And by the way, I think that I, I, I sort of did the calculations and I want to say that's over $200,000, $300,000. I did that yeah. calculation and the answer is... Of course is, you did. Because I like that. Uh, I think it was $286,000. Yeah, I was going to say... It it as an assistant. Jeez. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So that's so that's a that's a, a shit ton of money for him, and you see him go through the machinations, and then suddenly at the end he's like, "Wait a minute, no, I don't want to be your slave," and, blah, 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 and, and whatever. But he's he's a very very good character. The point of this movie, obviously, and as Phil said, is that we've all contributed valuable acts in our life that benefited other people. It's the butterfly effect. That we that have 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 spawned outwards, and we can never truly measure the impact we've had on other people's lives or just on history itself. That's the point of the movie. And Phil was absolutely right. That's literally twenty percent of the movie. Once you really get down to it, because most of the movie is just his buildup and about how he keeps missing his opportunity, his great shot. And I, I I will say this: I enjoy I enjoy period pieces, and I like seeing how life was back then. It's almost literally like watching a different civilization, like the way these people lived and talked, and and the things that excited them, like the whole hee haw thing. Like clearly that was ridiculous, but it was also something that probably people in you know nineteen forty whenever the movie came out were like, oh my god, hee haw! Remember when you used to do that? Because we're all fucking boring assholes. Like that's hysterical to us. Like that that meant something. One of the other things that drove me crazy. Was the when they walked into the candy shop or the the drugstore and he grabbed the lighter and he was like, "I wish I had a million dollars." Hot dog! I was like, "What the fuck is that?" <laughs> it is it that? came out of nowhere. What, and, he, and they don't they don't explain it. They yeah. don't say anything about it. And I was so I looked that up, and apparently, if and there was the no one, there's right? what's that? If you light the lighter on the first one, that's a hot dog, right? Yeah, but the, but it's <laughs> it's not. Well, that wasn't like a thing. That was right. just to this movie because apparently the lighter doesn't always work. Right. And if it worked, you, you know, you I, I was toiling with that afterwards. And that was the only solution I could think of as he was saying hot dogs. He was excited that he lit it the first time, but yes. like it speaks to your point. How boring is your life? We're like, that's <laughs> exactly. the game. Exactly. I lit it first time. Hot dog. <laughs> Especially at dinner time. That's going to be the hot topic of conversation. Right. Oh. When your life expectancy was like 47. Yeah, that was probably pretty exciting. Yeah. Also, in that same scene, those two little girls who were approximately, I guess, like nine sitting and talking to each other. It was like two 35 year old cougars, like sizing each other. Like I did little girls really talk like that. Like you like all the boys. So what's wrong with that? I'd be like, what the fuck? (laughs) Go play with dolls why are you trying to fuck what the hell yeah. is happening here it was like kim Cattrall and, and Terry yeah. bradshaw like it was that did feel weird it felt out of place it was it was it was it was very creepy also creepy george bailey kisses his mom on the mouth yeah not once yeah. but twice yeah. and the second time is like full on the mouth and so my wife and i were watching it and i was and and we we have a, a baby coming and i looked at my wife and i said so the first kiss i looked at my wife and i said i'm not kissing our child on the mouth like i never did that with my parents i think it's weird i'm just not doing it and not because i won't kiss my child or hug my child or love my child i will kissing on the mouth is weird then he went back and he like pulled her with his hands and kissed her and i was like what is <laughs> this wasn't a time thing this uh, this wasn't something that i like happened that was just a creepy moment <laughs> that like i wanted to go wash my hands after i saw that scene uh, he went he went a full-on lorraine baines mcfly with his mom <laughs> the reversal roles <laughs> exactly <laughs> do you want to park for a little bit <laughs> <laughs> mom why are you smoking <laughs> so the uh 
the what the part that I find most interesting about the movie is is and you still touched on this too is the angels. I think that was an interesting concept actually. That there and it was it was obviously special effects were not very good back then, but they just had these like blinking stars. It 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 looked like Morse code. These little stars blinking at each other, and that was that was interesting to me. And that he had to work his way up to it. It also, yes, you Phil, you're right. It's ridiculous that you go to heaven and you have to continue working. Right? <laughs> like, is aren't we done? Can I just sit on my cloud with my harp and be happy now? <laughs> but I thought I thought that was interesting, and I would have liked a little more out of that. And you really don't, you don't get like he just shows up, does his little thing, and then disappears. And there's no like, I don't know. There was just no nothing left after that. That was just. That was all that happened. And you and I, I swear to God, I had a note on this, how why he didn't catch on like by the third time yeah. to be like, oh, maybe this is real. Like, maybe I should stop being an asshole because I don't have a license. Like, even if he didn't, what, didn't buy fully into what Clarence was putting down, like, clearly something's different. The town looks different. At least the town. The town is completely different. Yeah. Once like, you see the Potterville sign, aren't you? Like right. that sign got put up pretty right. fast. Even Marty you know? McFly picked up what was what was yeah, happening. Right. Like, like something sooner or later he would have been like, "All right, I don't know what's going on, but I'm at least going to act. I'm going to go along with it because I feel like that's the same." And I think at least if nothing else, we know the three of us here. If we ever get caught in some fantastical situation, we'll figure it out. And I and I say I've said this about a lot of movies. I hate when people in movies don't react in the same way that real people would. Like when something ridiculously ha- ridiculous happens, and usually it's the reverse. Usually it's you know something, you know, a monster is walking, you know, a giant Godzilla is walking, or like, or or the Avengers are fighting, and people are just like, oh, like that's or like or, or usually it's when, a, when it's a reveal when it's like, oh yeah, by the way, I'm a vampire, and people are like, oh, well, geez, we got to figure this out. Like what you would you first of all you'd laugh at him, second of all you'd probably shit your pants, you, like. And 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 this was the this was almost the reverse where it's like sooner or later an intelligent person like this guy would have been at least running with it. So that that was that was a that was a great point. One quick notion that, that you made me think of when you were saying that last part with Clarence. Clarence did another bit of emotional blackmail I didn't pick up on. The first thing he tells George is, "I need to help you in order to get my wings." He's also piling his crap on George. <laughs> I didn't think about that, but it's like, that's the running theme of George's life, you know? <laughs> and watching him, watching the, the uncle, I guess it was the uncle, mm-hmm. gave me anxiety because I get in my life the guilt of everything that I, like everything I've ever lost as a, as a kid. So, but the end is the end of the movie is very heartwarming in that the whole everybody comes together. I did there was there was that emotion that I you're supposed to feel through the movie. But you're right, Phil. When you think about it, what are they really doing? And by the way, to your point, when you were saying they were helping Mary, I almost disagree. They were helping themselves because they needed that savings and loan to survive. Oh, that's and fair. If if the savings and loan went under. They would lose their house, or they'd have to move back into the slums of Potterville or whatever. So they were really saving their asses. That's um, a good point because Mister Potter would definitely not deal with a late payment. So right, right. Yeah. So this 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 was this was probably pretty self serving. All of that said, I do like this movie. You motherfucker. <laughs> and I don't I don't disagree with anything you said, Phil. But I've I've watched parts of this movie every. Every Christmas time, whenever it's on, I'll catch a little part of it. I, I love the, I love the, the cliche build up to it. And I do like the, I love, I love Clarence. I love Clarence. I think Clarence is a great character. And the, the moral of the story, while a little wishy washy, I still really like it's not a Christmas movie and I'll, I'll fight anybody over this, but I enjoy it. And it, it's not the greatest movie. It's not definitely not my favorite Christmas movie or even movie of this, of this era, but I did, I did really, I do really like it. So I, and it might just, I just might be a sucker for it. I bought into it, but I like it. Give me a number. Uh, six and a half. Heathen. Six and a half is high. These notes brought to you by guttingthesacredcow.com, where every day you find fantastic articles like that doesn't happen. Movie reviews, movie quotes, you know, we run the gamut. We run everything over here. Merch, hats, bags, mugs, you name it. We got it there too, guttingthesacredcow.com. And email us, 
guttingthesacredcow at gmail.com if you want to advertise with us or just to say hi. Notes. The pharmacist looks like he's getting high on his own supply. Yup. This small town suburbia is quite quaint yet intrusive when everyone knows everyone's business. Yuck. 18 minutes in, we have our first black person. Finally, a new and high. (laughs) New and high. Yeah. New and high for a film that's not named Gone with the Wind. The insults in this film are goddamn hilarious. I.e., you already mentioned the hee-haw. How about this one? Why don't you stop annoying people? I wondered wondered if they bowed and curtsied before declaring fisticuffs were about to be afoot back in those times. White people dance-offs are like watching a six-year-old chase a bouncing ball into traffic in slow motion. A gym that has a pool opening in the middle of the gym floor is fucking cool. Right? Have you ever seen that for real? No. No. Yeah. I feel like this movie is the only place that that exists. Yeah. Yeah. That's like something out of Minority Report. Like, it felt very futuristic. (laughs) And a terrible idea. Murder, murder, death, kill. Murder, death, kill. (laughs) Like, they didn't even put, like, a cage over the button with, like, a cage or anything. Like, that button right there will do it. Uh, looks like we did dating wrong, Kevin Israel. I guess going on a date and throwing rocks at windows was invented before fun or fucking. <laughs> is 33 minutes in, this film is dragging. Not rushing, dragging. Is Jimmy, is Jimmy Stewart asexual? He couldn't close a door, let alone a deal with a, with a lady. Why is there a crow in their office? Did I miss the symbolism on this? Last time we saw a crow inside, Brandon Lee asked if there was a doctor on the set. <laughs> Ouch. That is another example of something that they just say, you'll, you'll understand this. Don't worry. And then it just move on. Yeah, there's no, there's <laughs> nothing. I was like, I feel dumb not, not knowing this one. This is just a crow hanging out in the office. That's never mind. Who volunteers to sing in the rain for newlyweds? No one. Did Jimmy Stewart offer to let them watch him consummate his marriage while hiding in a closet? Despite the insanely low crime in this area, these people are insane. I would never live in this town of New Bedford. Maybe I'm just jaded. I can't buy all this over-the-top niceness. It's, that doesn't happen. I'm sorry, I guess. You grew up in uh, in Central Jersey. And you're like, nah, not buying it. This has to be this film has to be on the Mount Rushmore of when black people watch it. They shake their heads and go, "Fucking white people." <laughs> he was offered twenty thousand to work for that old goat. I would have left in two seconds for two hundred eighty six thousand. Shit, bye. Right. The bartender at Martini's during the uh, if you if you weren't alive for this, he is that bartender is less likable than most Sizzlack from The Simpsons. The only thing missing was Zuzu calling up the bar and asking for Homer sexual. <laughs> that bartender has an accent I've never heard before in my life. No one talks like that. And I've been to Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. Trust me. So he runs out, he punches the cop in the face, and then the cop whips out his gun in a quasi-crowded area and cracks out a few shots. Okay. Note to self, never go jaywalking or roll through a stop sign in New Bedford, because if you're a small-town cop with not much action, there are maybe two opportunities to get your gun off in real life, and that had to have been one of them. Uh, fun fact about me, I've never seen this movie until last night. We've, we, pff, nope, not, not on the radar. <laughs> not on the radar. We've seen clips of George Bailey wishing street signs and storefronts Merry Christmas. And, of course, you see the every time a bell rings thing. This is easily one of the most beloved Christmas movies. I have no idea why. This, this is – I don't have many notes except just these jokes, whatever I wrote – this setup was way too goddamn long. Way too. He's a nice guy. We get it. He's a family guy. Cool. His business is having a problem. Okay. They could have cut out 
30 minutes easily because the whole story is when he tries to kill himself, not the hour and fucking 20 or whatever of fluff. I didn't care what happened for the first two thirds of the movie. The last third was fine. Just fine. People love this, I guess, because, oh, the town didn't turn their back on him when he needed the money. Whatever. I, I'm very surprised they didn't show Mr. Potter, unless I missed it. Mr. Potter, after he pocketed the money at the end and then the very end when he's okay, when the townspeople bail him out, you don't see him kind of counting $8,000 like, <laughs> sucker. I love to see what that reaction would have been. But this film falls right down a Christmas story boulevard, all nostalgia, all nostalgia. All bullshit. I didn't like, I didn't hate this. Like, I hate a Christmas story, but this film was beyond boring, overrated as all hell. I will never watch this again. I didn't get, I didn't dig any of the characters. I disagree. I thought Mr. Potter was tepid evil. Yes, I'm never going to pay you. I'm trying to buy a little business. There was nothing scandalous or evil about him. He was, again, uh, vanilla at best. No pun intended. Yeah. Number six on IMDb's top villains. Yeah, well, you know what also is on with IMDb? <laughs> Remember who they said the favorite uh, all-time hero in films are? Kevin Israel, do you remember? I do. The lead from, I forgot his name, I'm blanking, Gregory Peck in To Kill a Mockingbird. was oh, that's right. Yeah. So, you can, so IMDb, you can shove your, your, your fucking list in your urethra because it's garbage. Your urethra. Fuck number six. Not even in the top thousand. Uh, I can see why Jimmy Stewart got the Oscar. I'm not giving it a ring and endorsement. I can kind of see why Donna Reed was okay. What was so Christmassy about this film, except it happened to be coincidental. And I knew, I knew Kevin Israel, you would have a problem with that because your, your diehard argument, which you had stated before, this has no real Christmas elements unless I missed it. If I was semi quasi catatonic, because this film is boring. This film did nothing for me. And I want you to those who, who like this film to def- who defend it, I want five memorable scenes from you that left impressions. I want those five scenes that you're like, this is a great movie. Besides the end, that's one. Now give me four more. I, I dare you. You can't. That's my answer. Three and a half out of ten. Boring. Don't see the allure. Missed it. I agree. But I know I you do. You knew that. <laughs> Yeah, this film was a stinker. Let's see what those assholes who decide to put those county college degrees in English, let's say, critics' five-star reviews. Critics, five-star reviews. Critics, five-star reviews. Critics, five-star reviews. Oof. One of the most influential films in the history of Hollywood was a box office failure. Take a hint. Not winning one, not winning a single of the five Oscars for which was nominated. Oh, I was wrong. I put it down as he did win one. Never mind. Next one. You can really see Capra's feelings come through on the screen after George wishes he had never been born. Can you? When watching It's a Wonderful Life, it is easy to see that that film is a legitimate art form and that Hollywood really doesn't make them like this anymore. They Thankfully. got better. Yeah, yeah. They did. Hollywood got better at storytelling. Yeah. yeah. Gee, Pulp Fiction, Shawshank, The Dark Knight, or, you know, this little film we're talking <laughs> about right now. Fuck out of here. When, uh, next one. Uh, not only does It's a Wonderful Life truly exhume the holiday spirit, but it also reminds me that you should be good to everyone, even when the world turns you down again and again. Someone, Kevin Israel, not in stand-up comedy. Critics, one-star reviews. Critics, one-star reviews. Critics, one-star reviews. One problem with the film is that it's only in the acquisition of money and the community subjugating their own savings and needs for George that his rebirth can be complete. Right. Capra is an old-time movie craftsman, the master of every trick in the bag, and in many ways, he is more at home with the medium than any other Hollywood director. But all of his details give the impression of contrived effect. 
I want, I want, I want to see more evidence when I read these reviews from these critics. But all they do is they use 25 cent vocabulary words without any basis in the review for backing up their claims. Zero. Yeah, they could literally say anything, and you're like, okay, right? But there's it's, no I mean, it's yeah. ridiculous. It suits a lot of people, but I find it hypocritical and false. Now, as Stewie Griffin would say, hmm, yes, childish and pedantic. It isn't a terrible film by any means, and it's easy to see why people revere it. I'll buy that. (laughs) Amazon, five-star reviews. Amazon, five-star reviews. This was, and still is, by far one of the best, if not the best, Christmas movies produced. Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed, two of Hollywood's finest actors, truly bring out the meaning of Christmas. It's not about gift giving slash receiving, but what you have in front of you. There is truth to the saying that you don't know how fortunate you are until you have it taken away. The love of God and family will keep you together no matter the circumstances. God bless to all and enjoy this classic. Signed, Andy Dick. (laughs) But it is about what's right in front of him. He gets all the money at the end. Yeah. He has a he has a small start and a Scrooge McDuck bank vault dumped in front of him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's not about money, huh? I hadn't watched this since childhood and was surprised by all the historical context I now understand as an adult. I found myself crying multiple times during the movie. What happens when your life doesn't turn out the way you had dreamed to meet your ambitions? Just ask anyone who works at a DMV that question, right? <laughs> what happens when you constantly show kindness and generosity to others? How do many small acts of kindness impact the lives of others in the long run? Amazing movie. Sure. Used as a guide to explain something to someone about something that's happening. What? It is really a great guide for that in this present moment, unless your head's lodged firmly twixt your cheeks, in which case, hopefully someone can use this as a guide to help explain that something's happening and possibly free your head so you can see what's going on in this world around you. Is that clearance? Clarence? Uh, oh, that guy. Uh, Wait, so you poop out your head? Is that what they're saying? <laughs> someone saw Ace Ventura 2 where he was coming out of the rhino's <laughs> ass and, was, and then said, let me get an airplane reference in there, too, because <laughs> he's the fourth funniest guy in the office. I was scrolling on Amazon Prime and in no mood for assassins, actors waving handguns or actors beating and killing each other's characters. I was seeking to watch something reflecting love, not romance, and the courage of human spirit. After all, it was Christmas. I found this. My, I found this. I found it. This film. I saw my own anger and pressure about money and the forces of greed on full display. I found my, I found this old movie much more from the heart compared to the movies of this decade. I saw my own faults and my own desires. And I learned why this movie has endured the test of time. I need to call his dad. Yeah. I was going to say he's a, he's clearly depressed. I feel terrible for that person. I was just going to say someone should stop reading the secret before posting Amazon reviews. (laughs) Amazon. One-star reviews. Amazon. One-star reviews. I can't think of uh, any movie more overhyped than this terrible, depressing, drawn-out film where you watch an unredeeming jerk get comfortable with the idea of settling with a weird religious twist that is somehow supposed to make it better. Why this is considered a classic, I'll never understand it. There are so many better films out there to watch. Did I write that review? Wait a second. That sounds <laughs> actually, familiar. Actually, Phil, I think this next one is yours. Actually, I'm amazed that I seem to be the only person who sees the elephant in the room. George Bailey is a snowflake who decides to commit suicide over a relatively trivial financial problem. The story takes place during the Great Depression, and unlike millions of Americans, George's entire family is doing quite well. George has a nice house in a great neighborhood, a beautiful, loving wife, and adorable kids. But the moment George encounters the first real problem in his wife in his life, his uncle misplaces some money that was supposed to be deposited in the bank. He thinks that suicide is a solution and takes a guardian angel, an angel sent by God, no less, to talk him out of it. George is the ultimate snowflake. 
I don't know if I'd call him a snowflake, yeah. but I'm just saying that, like, you know, that house was a big house. I love that hotel house. originally. Oh, really? I believe it. This was the whitest and most cringeworthy Christmas movie ever made. <laughs> I love this person already. Pure treacle and kitschy. It doesn't even raise the, to the level of camp. It should disappear in the, anal, in the annals and anal orifices of history. Signed Estelle Getty. That's awfully mean of her to say. <laughs> Dark, depressing, not an enjoyable Christmas movie. Give me Miracle on 34th Street. <laughs> That's it for the reviews, folks. Kevin Israel, did Phil rant and gut the sacred cow? You know what? And this is going to be surprising. I think he did. Whoa. I like it. I mean, I like it. I get, I understand everybody's point. I understand both of your points. This is, this is one of those movies that I wouldn't die on the hill for, and I'm not going to argue. Uh, I, I just like it for whatever reason. It might be nostalgia. It might be, I don't know. But uh, you're, uh, first of all, your zombie point was fucking fantastic <laughs> yes uh I, I really really enjoyed that and uh yeah you made a lot of good points it's it, the movie has a lot of problems and i uh, i agree so i in my opinion, it, i will co-sign on that go with gusto how could i not i gave it a three and a half i thought it was boring <laughs> so overrated fantastic job phil why don't you tell the good folks again what you're up to and where we can find you yeah, you can uh, look at my company, Wormhole Labs, uh, wormholelabs.com, if you're into metaverse tech. Uh, or you can find me on all social platforms at Phil Ranta. That's P-H-I-L-R-A-N-T-A. And I've got a podcast called the Two and a Half Sportsman Podcast. Be sure to check it out. Kevin Israel. KevinIsrael.com for comedy dates. I'm going to be taking a two-month hiatus, but I'll be back on the road in February. And make sure to leave us a five-star rating and a quick review on your podcast platform of choice. It helps. It means something to us. We will call you out and recognize you for your great work. So if you if that matters to you, uh, we'll do it. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll buy your love, basically. Every time they write a review, an angel gets his wings. Ha. Aww. <laughs> KevinGoatee.com. Appreciate that. That's where you can find the NFL picks, which have been stinky of late. And of course, GuttingTheSacredCow.com, where you find all great stuff of us, articles, blogs, and of course, merch shop. GuttingTheSacredCow at gmail.com is where you find all the uh, the fantastic times and good stuff. Phil Ranta, it's been a joy. It's been a delight. We appreciate you taking, taking yeah. uh, some time out and hanging out with us. So. Thank you much. Thank and you for having me, gentlemen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, we'll see you all later. Avita Zen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.